Hey everyone, before we start the episode, I wanted to share some exciting news. We have a YouTube channel now. We started posting our episodes with some cool images and videos, so you should definitely go check it out. You can find us at On Wildlife Podcast, and don't forget to subscribe. Now let's get into the episode. Hello, welcome to On Wildlife. I'm your host, Alex Ray. On this podcast, we bring the wild to you. We take you on a journey into the life of a different animal every week, and I guarantee you you're going to come out of here knowing more about your favorite animal than you did before. This week, we're diving deep into the oceans of the world to discuss an animal that's often found on your dinner plate. They're an apex predator whose anatomy allows them to swim through the water with blazing speed. And although they're one of the best predators in their ecosystems, they're also one of the most overexploited species in the world. So grab your snorkeling gear, because this week we're learning about tuna. found in pretty much every ocean around the world, and they usually like to live around a thousand meters below the surface of the water. There are seven species of tuna, northern bluefin tuna, albacore, yellowfin tuna, southern bluefin tuna, big-eye tuna, blackfin tuna, and long-tail tuna. Each of these species range in size. Now, you might think of tuna tightly packed in a can, but that's only a small portion of one. These are huge animals. Northern bluefin tuna are the largest species, as they can grow to be as long as 10 feet in length, weighing nearly 2,000 pounds. Not to say that the other species are small. Yellowfin tuna reach a maximum weight of around 390 pounds, and albacore often grow to approximately 79 pounds. They belong to the family Scombridae, and their closest relatives are mackerels and bonitos. They can live for about 40 years in the wild, and their lineage goes back around 60 million years. One attribute you might notice about these fish is that they have a dark coloration on the top half of their bodies and a silver coloration with an iridescent shine on the bottom half of their bodies. This is called countershading. We've talked about this in other episodes, but basically the coloration helps them blend in with both the top of the ocean and the surface of the ocean. Tuna have torpedo-shaped bodies, which allows them to swiftly cut through the water at speeds of up to 43 miles per hour. To put that into perspective, Michael Phelps can swim only a little under 5 miles per hour. But they do have the physical advantage. Aside from being streamlined for the ocean and having powerful tails, they also have special swimming muscles, sometimes called red muscles. These muscles are able to reduce the amount of energy that the tuna uses when swimming. Red muscles are skeletal muscles that have a lot of capillaries, and they're rich in myoglobin and mitochondria. Myoglobin is really good at storing oxygen, and mitochondria, which many of us know are the powerhouses of the cell, use this oxygen to make energy. So the more oxygen you have in your cells, the more energy you're going to make. Let's think about why this is important. What happens when you've been doing exercise for a long time? Your muscles start to burn. 
And this is because when your cells have to make a lot of energy for you, you start to run out of oxygen to use. So your cells resort to another process called anaerobic respiration. This process doesn't need oxygen, but it creates a byproduct called lactic acid, which is what makes your muscles burn. Tuna are able to swim for a long time before they start to make lactic acid. Now, tuna are viewed by most people as food before they're viewed as animals, and they're currently one of the most commercially valuable fish. They're being exploited and overfished, but we'll touch more on that later on in the episode. And we're going to talk about what they eat right after the break. The science word that I want to talk to you about today is community. That might seem like a common word to use, but in biology, we use it in a different way. A community is all of the living things that inhabit a specific area. For example, birds living in a tree that has insects and squirrels would be considered a community. Okay, we're back. Tuna are a carnivorous species of fish, and they'll feed on other fish, squid, shellfish, and a variety of plankton as well. They're pretty much near the top of the food chain, which is probably surprising to hear. They use their insane speed to chase down their prey, and they can work together as well. Some species of tuna, like bluefin, often hunt in coordinated schools, almost like a wolf pack. And as a result, they're able to take out schools of herring, mackerel, and even eels. Most of the time, they'll swallow their prey whole. But because they're so big, not many other animals in the ocean can eat them. The only real threats to them are orcas, sharks, and of course, humans. Now, many of us have probably eaten tuna before, but because they're at the top of the food chain, eating them can cause some serious health problems. They're susceptible to something called bioaccumulation. This is where small, harmless things build up over time to be harmful. For example, microplastics are small plastics created by us that end up in the oceans, and smaller marine animals tend to eat them. Then, fish that eat those animals start to accumulate more microplastics, and the amount keeps increasing until you're at the top of the food chain. So, tuna can contain unsafe amounts of microplastics that we're now eating. This happens with mercury, too. Processes like burning coal and oil release mercury into the air. The airborne mercury is then deposited on land and water, where microorganisms convert it into methylmercury. Fish can also absorb methylmercury directly through their gills. When humans then eat the fish, they get the mercury that's in the fish's flesh. This can cause damage to the kidneys and the brain, and can also cause damage to the nervous system and fetal development. This is why pregnant people are not supposed to eat tuna. During reproduction, tuna gather together in spawning aggregations. Males and females produce eggs and sperm at the same time, which allow multiple individuals to mate at the same time. Females may lay up to 10 million eggs at a time. Tuna breed between the months of April to June in the Gulf of Mexico and June to August in the Mediterranean. Tuna larvae hatch after only one and a half to four days, and they're often three millimeters long with large heads and jaws. 
The parents don't care for the offspring at all because they grow quickly and increase one millimeter in size every day. Growth becomes especially accelerated 20 days after hatching, as then they begin to grow more than two millimeters a day. It takes approximately 10 years for adult tuna to reach two-thirds of their maximum length. Tuna larvae feed on small organisms like brine shrimp, other fish larvae, and rotifers. And young tuna begin schooling or traveling together once they reach a similar size to the other individuals in the school and become mature between the ages of 4 to 8 years old. Tuna school based on their size rather than their species. It's pretty common to see many different species of similarly sized tuna all in a school together, which is pretty crazy. Schools are very fast moving and have been known to cross the Atlantic in 60 days. Tuna perceive their environment and communicate through visual and chemical cues. They also have a well-developed lateral line system. The lateral line system is a sensory system in fish that allows them to detect weak water motions and pressure differences. It's built out of hundreds of neuromasts spread over the head, trunk, and tail fin. Neuromasts are the smallest unit of the lateral line, and they're sensory structures, kind of like hairs attached to nerves. And tuna's perception of chemical cues allows them to sense their environment, find a suitable mate, locate food, and identify danger. Humans can actually manipulate chemical cues when growing captive tuna to increase their fertility and decrease stress. Tuna can also give us information about the health of the ecosystems because they can detect changes in ocean acidification and increases in ocean plastics. Tuna are a migratory fish species and travel thousands of miles throughout their lives. Some tuna, for instance, are born in the Gulf of Mexico and may travel across the entire Atlantic Ocean so that they can feed off the coast of Europe. After several months, they then return to the location where they were born so that they can breed. And as a result, their habitats range from tropical to temperate to cool water. Tuna are unique from a lot of other aquatic species because they have a complex network of blood vessels below their skin that allows them to regulate their body temperature, kind of like us. This process is common in aquatic species that migrate long distances as a part of their life cycle. And as a result, their body temperature often is able to be sustained above the temperature of the water, typically around 85 degrees Fahrenheit. Their vascular system allows their muscles to be up to 39 degrees higher than the surrounding waters. They've also been known to sunbathe, where they'll swim close to the surface of the water and roll over so that their bellies face the sun. We still don't really know why they do this, but scientists think that it helps them warm up and could also help them digest their food. Okay, we're going to take our last break, and when we get back, we'll talk about their importance to the ecosystems that they live in. Time for today's trivia question. What is a shark's body structure made out of? A, bone, B, cartilage, C, keratin, or D, chitin?
is B, cartilage. Welcome back. Tuna are an important apex predator for their ecosystems. They eat a large variety of fish and squid, and their consumption of aquatic species allows them to play a key role in maintaining stable and healthy populations of fish. Tuna also act as a host to at least 72 parasites. Many of these parasites live on their fins, gills, and the surface of their bodies. They also have a mutualistic relationship with other tuna species. These other species increase the size of the school, allowing it to become more heavily protected. These individuals that join the school are then benefited by being able to obtain more food and reproductive success. And so many people around the world use tuna as a food source. They're among one of the most commercially valuable fish on the planet, like I said earlier. And northern bluefin tuna are among the greatest trophies within sport and commercial fishing. They're considered a delicacy, with costs ranging from $40 to $200 per pound. At Tokyo Fish Market Auctions, one bluefin tuna can cost millions of dollars. However, one individual has enough meat to make around 12,000 pieces of sushi. But because they're so valuable, their populations have greatly declined due to overfishing. Many environmental organizations have been advocating for fishing regulations on tuna, but with not a lot of luck. Tuna catching and fisheries are causing many tuna species to rapidly decline. The International Seafood Sustainability Foundation found that species like Pacific bluefin tuna are heavily overfished, with the Atlantic big eye and the Indian Ocean yellowfin tuna additionally experiencing overfishing. This phenomenon occurs when adult fish are being caught faster than they can breed and replenish the population. Illegal fishing of Atlantic bluefin tuna is also a significant problem. This is because the laws are not being enforced. A common way that illegal fishing occurs is when fisheries acquire tuna ranching pens, which are temporarily used to house and fatten the wild fish. Overfishing of wild tuna not only endangers the populations of tuna species, but also compromises the populations of other fish species that often travel alongside tuna, such as skipjack. These species are increasingly caught as bycatch, which means that they're not intended to be caught, but they are. The bycatch fish are disposed of as waste rather than being released back into the water, thus contributing to overfishing of the global fish populations. We've seen around an 80% decrease in bluefin tuna populations in the last 40 years. This needs to come to an end, and there are already organizations that are helping tuna and the habitats that they live in right now. You should check out the International Commission for the Conservation of Atlantic Tunas, Northwest Atlantic Fisheries Organization, and Indian Ocean Tuna Commission. Thank you so much for coming on this adventure with me as we explored the world of tuna. You can find the sources that we used for this podcast and links to organizations that we reference at onwildlife.org. You can also email us with any questions at onwildlife.podcast at gmail.com. And you can follow us on Instagram at on underscore wildlife and on TikTok at onwildlife. Don't forget to tune in next Wednesday for another awesome episode. And that's 
on wildlife. You've been listening to On Wildlife with Alex Ray. On Wildlife provides general educational information on various topics as a public service, which should not be construed as professional, financial, real estate, tax, or legal advice. These are our personal opinions only. Please refer to our full disclaimer policy on our website for full details. Thank you.